You are Locked On Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the end of the week, Friday edition of the Locked On Utes podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your co-host, the bear in your favorite chair. Maybe it's your favorite bear in your not favorite chair. Although I do, I do believe that if you sat in this chair, you would agree that it would probably be your favorite as well. Bears love to be comfortable. My name is Brian Brown. I am a co-host here on Locked On Utes, and we have a great show for you today, riding solo, giving Jake the night off with jazz and Utes and everything else going on. Didn't want to keep him up till one in the morning when he has to be up in three hours anyways. We're going to talk about the University of Utah's basketball team, their performance tonight. Do they exist? That's the big question here on Locked on Utes. Is it a win? Is it a loss? What do we think about it? We'll give you all the highlights and breakdowns from uh, their contest at Washington State against the Cougars. Also, new candidates emerging in the search for the Pac-12 commissioner. Has the search actually begun? Why are these candidates entering their names? What kind of candidates should the Pac-12 be looking for? And any other thoughts that we I might have on the job search and the candidates? And lastly, we'll close it out with a bit of an Ask Me Anything, taking some of your questions, call it a mailbag, and then I have a little bit of a opinion about a question that was asked on the Ute Zone boards earlier today about what the role of parents and athletes should be in the next hire of the Pac-12 commissioner. All that and plenty more coming up next here on Locked on Utes, your daily Utah podcast for January 22nd, 2021. The regular music is back, and I got to be honest, it feels good. Uh, to be back to normal a little bit after the crazy day yesterday. Welcome into the Locked on Utes podcast. This is Brian Brown again coming back uh, with your daily Utah Utes athletics update. And we're going to start off the show with the most important question that we like to ask. Does Utah basketball exist? And without a doubt, the answer to that one in my mind is yes. Utah basketball with the big victory over the Washington State Cougars last night. Wazoo, uh, let, let's not sugarcoat this. This was not a fun basketball game to watch if, if you're looking for competition and, and great basketball. Uh, Wazoo looked really lost out there all night long, taking some weird shots, maybe not some of the best shots. And then they got out of the game early. I think Utah started off strong and then finished strong. Uh something that we haven't seen from Utah almost all season long, where it was a start-to-finish effort from them. But the big story here, I think, is is the effort, the energy, and the defense with which Utah played. Final score of 71-56. to Let's take a look at the box score or the team stats for just a minute. Washington State shoots 37% from the field, 36% from three, so not bad there. 
9 of 12 from the free throw line for 75%. 25 rebounds. Utah out-rebounds Washington State 32 to 25, something we've talked about a lot. The biggest thing is the defensive rebounds for Utah. 26 to 17 advantage over Washington State. That's huge. 19 assists for the Utes, 4 steals, 2 blocks, 16 total turnovers to 15 for Washington State, and the largest lead for the Utes at 21 points. But it was essentially the kind of game that I think we've been looking for Utah to play almost all year long. I I don't want to give out the excuse against Cal that Utah didn't have their legs under them. I think that you can still compete and win those games even when you're tired. And I know that it was a long stretch. But what really stood out to me tonight was just the end-to-end effort, the effort on defense, and the play of two people that we've two players that we've really kind of isolated a lot on this podcast in Ryland Jones and Brandon Carlson. Brandon getting the start, of course. And I thought he played great. He was engaged on the defensive side of the ball. He had some excellent alley-oops, some 14 points, 10 rebounds, one assist, two blocks, two fouls, which is, for him, that's a huge part of his game, is staying out of foul trouble. And I thought he did a really good job on the defensive side of the court, especially of being a force without actually getting blocked shots. I think his defense at the rim was critical early on. I think Washington State, young team, lacking a lot of experience, got out of sorts early, and they never were able to climb back into the contest. I think Utah played consistent, and, and again, I'm going to point to effort, but we do also need to talk about the play of Ryland Jones. He was fantastic tonight. He was aggressive. He pushed the ball. Didn't score a ton of points, only five points, but ten assists, three rebounds. I thought his energy and his effort was the massive difference maker. Ten assists was was critical, I think, in, in getting his teammates the ball, being the guy, making things happen on the offensive end, even if he's not confident in his shot. That was the part that we talked about against Cal, is he seemed like he wasn't making an impact on the game. And tonight, he looked like a different player. Tonight, Ryland Jones looked like the Ryland Jones of old, and I'm going to give all the credit to his haircut. Because listen, Ryland, I've gotten a haircut too, and it's just changed everything. You look in the mirror, you look clean, you look happy, or you feel good, you feel happy. The, The haircut is everything. So we just need to find a way to get Ryland Jones a haircut before every single game, and I think this is the kind of effort that we can expect from him. Just kidding. But what I will say is this. I think he was much more engaged. He was much more decisive. I love the way they, they decided to push the ball. I thought that was a big change. I thought Brandon Carlson starting the game was a good move against this Washington State team. I think in early on, as I said, he influenced shots in the paint and forced Washington State to go outside a little bit. Now, they still shot pretty well from beyond the arc. But I think it was the shot selection and the defense and the and the effort from the youths that really made a difference in this game. The question now is, where do you go from here? Because I think this was the kind of effort that you were expected to see four or five games ago. And, and you expected this team to be much more competitive uh, at this point in the season. Now they're pretty much out of any kind of NCAA tournament contention. I, I think that's that dream is done. And so you're trying to develop and and grow this team for the future. But at the same time, how do you keep these guys engaged? And and what are your chances of maybe making a run there at the tournament? If you win out, and that's such a huge logistical goal that I don't think you should even comprehend. But but assuming that you do win out and maybe do make some moves in, in the 
Pac-12 tournament, it's going to be so different this year without fans there, I think. Um, we'll have to see how that is. But maybe there's a chance that this team could could be a tournament team. I, I, I don't think they are. I'm, I'm just going to be honest. This was one game, and while I love the effort, we need to see it consistently. And you'll need to see it against Washington. You'll need to see it as Utah comes back home the next week and starts the schedule all over again. And, and you still have games against the best – you know the best teams in in your conference left on this schedule, and and that's that's the part about this team that I think is so frustrating to me. Maybe is just that the, the consistency has just not been there, even though it does feel like they can compete, and they really put themselves in a hole uh, early on. I, I I just I don't know if you can recover from it, to be honest, and and that's. That's the hard and frustrating part about this season is is there wasn't a lot of prep time. They got hit early by the coronavirus, and it interrupted the the practice schedule and everything like that. And we're seeing that now that this team has gotten some time and gotten some games under their belt, that they're really starting to click. The effort is there. The cohesiveness is there. Guys are finding their roles. Guys are playing the way that we saw them play last year. And, and they're playing through the fear of mistakes and things of that nature, and they're making effort their number one priority. And that's where it should have been to start the year, to be honest with you. As we look down the road, obviously Sunday afternoon at Washington, 2 p.m., that one's going to be on ESPNU. And then the Utes have this coming up at Colorado, home for Arizona, Arizona State, at Cal and Stanford, at Oregon State, at Oregon, then finishing the year home against UCLA and USC. So you do have some opportunities there to finish the season with some strong wins. But I think the biggest problem is, is that it's just I don't think it's going to be enough. But what you can look at this this team right now and where they're at and say is that this this is a strong building block for the future. There are things happening now that we can project to next year and, and hopefully I we'll, we'll talk about the offseason when we get to the offseason, but hopefully at that point in time you can find some more stability and, and, and figure out what it is that this program really does need uh, moving forward. I think for a lot of people that's, that's just a coaching change. Uh, I don't know that I'm necessarily there yet. But I do understand where people are coming from with that. And to be honest, again, that's not my decision to make. That's why Mark Harlan's salary is much larger than mine. And if I were a betting man, I would most definitely bet on this team continuing to play inconsistently and finish the year on a bit of a frustrating note. I, I just Tonight was a great effort, and I don't want to rain any kind of negativity on that. I think you have to enjoy the wins, especially with this program, this team, and everything that they fought through this year. But I don't think that the, we solved all the problems tonight. It was a good game. It was fine. You've finally gotten two of three games where the effort was consistent for an entire game. But it's against a lesser opponent. It's against a team that is just not experienced and, and maybe not mentally tough enough to stay in the fight the way that other teams can be uh, in this conference. And so I think if I were to put place my money somewhere, I would bet on Utah finishing towards the, the bottom of the conference still. But I love what I saw tonight. And if you can bring that effort consistently every single night, I think there's a lot of growth that can come with this team. I think there's a lot of development that will come. And I think that they can surprise some people and really finish this year on a high note, which would be a massive accomplishment for this program. So we'll have to wait and see. But if you want to play some bets in the meantime, I have a great idea for everybody. Go to betonline.ag. BetOnline.ag is a 
proud supporter of the Locked On Podcast Network, and we are proud to be partnered with them to help provide you with the opportunity to expand your sports fan horizons. We want you to get paid. That's the bottom line. And there's no better way to dip your toe into the gambling waters than with BetOnline AG. BetOnline has created a promo code for everyone to where you can get a 50% bonus, a welcome bonus for your initial deposit by using the promo code LOCKEDON. We've been over it time and time again. They'll set lines for you. You can place unique bets. All you have to do is reach out to them. It's super easy to create an account. You can tag them on social media at betonline underscore AG to take advantage of the best bonuses in the business. Sign up for that free account. Use the promo code locked on for your sign up bonus. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Wanted to talk a little bit about the commissioner search for the Pac-12. When the news broke, Jake and I were kind of on the cusp of it all, and and we threw a couple names together quickly of of people that we thought about, and there have been more names that have come to light uh, ever since that, and wanted to go over a few of those names. The the biggest ones, I think, uh, that have come out are, are obviously Oliver Luck's name has been mentioned. I think that one was pretty obvious. Gene Smith, the athletic director at Ohio State, is a good one. Greg Byrne, athletic director at Alabama. Obvious candidate because he has prior experience at Arizona State. He has experience with Alabama at a large school, a state school. So he understands the necessity of making sure that your athletic and academic sides coexist properly and he's also been at the table at one of the biggest universities in the country, most attention. So, you know, he knows how to manage his staff. He knows how to keep the PR aspect of everything clean. I think he's done a really good job there at Alabama of not sinking the ship. And sometimes that's the best thing that you can do when you're at a job like that. Some of the other names that started getting mentioned, Bernard Muir, he's the, or Muir, he's the athletic director at Stanford. I think that's probably a pretty good uh, candidate there, someone who knows the Pac-12, who knows the ins and outs of the Bay Area, knows exactly what those California schools need. For example, he's been the athletic director in Palo Alto since 2012. I think that he's done a very good job of, of maintaining and, and keeping Stanford athletics at a very high bar. I think his experience with a multitude of sports makes him very appealing. And I also think that the fact that he's dealing with insane boosters probably makes him an appealing and charismatic candidate as well. Gloria Navarez is, is a, is the conference commissioner for the West coast conference. And I think that's an interesting name um, to come up. She's only been in charge for two years. I don't know that she's done anything that, that I really would look at and point and be like, Oh my gosh, that's exactly what the conference needed to do. I, I think some of it was already kind of in place for the WCC. So again, it's the same situation as with Greg Byrne, where it's more about just don't crash the ship. But at the same time, I think, a lot of what the Pac-12 needs in in a short summation is, is leadership that, that can get back to the fundamentals. And I'm parroting a little bit of what John Wilner said uh, today in his comments that, that they need to get back to the fundamentals of the conference. But 
it's also very true. I don't think that they need to reinvent the wheel. They tried to do that the first time around with the TV deal, and it backfired in their face. What they really need to do is they need to make sure that they secure the TV deal, but they also need to build plans with the athletic directors, with the presidents, with everybody involved to market and, and expose the conference and all the good good stuff that's inside of it. And so I think the media part of it is – you know, it's a big deal, but you're going to hire a firm for that anyway. So I don't know it's that it's necessarily the most important part of it. Um, Navarez was with the Pac-12 at one point in time, so I think that she does have you know some experience there with, with the conference and understands the the outlook of the outlook and and the uniqueness of it and so forth and so on. Another name that popped up that I'm very curious about is Ray Anderson. And Anderson's gotten a lot of attention at Arizona State for what he's done there. Everybody kind of raves about the Herm Edwards hire now. I actually thought it was a good hire at the time. But I I wanted to wait and see a little bit before I started, you know, pointing that out. At the same time, Arizona State really hasn't done anything under Anderson that's super impressive. I don't think they've improved their conference footprint. I don't know that their brand has been any better. Uh, he's he's definitely brought in two very impressive coaches in, in the sports that get the most headlines in football and men's basketball. But they really haven't developed much else um, that wasn't already there. And so, again, it's another one of those candidates where I understand the reason that you're mentioning it. Somebody that understands it has experience with the NFL. He understands football, which is the most important part of it. But I don't know that I would necessarily point at him and say that that's the guy that that I would like. So those are a few of the candidates. I think the biggest thing, as I'm looking at it, that that you need to find in a – conference commissioner, a future conference commissioner for the Pac-12. I think you need to find someone who understands what their strengths and weaknesses as a commissioner are. I think it's somebody that doesn't carry the hubris that Larry Scott has. I think it's someone who is a leader first and foremost and can get people in line and on board with what the plan is. I think you can surround yourself with enough of the kind of people to help out with the other stuff in terms of media negotiations and, and everything else that you can be lesser in, in, in terms of knowledge with a lot of that stuff. And the other thing that seemed to be very prevalent as people were pointing out almost all day long was the fact that most of these TV negotiations are ha- handled by firms these days anyways. And I don't know that the, the PAC 12 really needs to go to the mattresses in terms of their TV deal. I think they just need to get a fair share. I think they need to get the PAC 12 network fixed. They need to figure out what to do with that. Obviously we've talked a lot about moving the headquarters. That seems to be a no brainer for everybody, but the bigger problem with the PAC 12 is how do you market this league to a base on the West coast? That's become disinterested. How do you get, how do you push into the playoff picture for college football? How do you get people on your side? How do you develop allies throughout the other conferences so that you can expand the playoffs, so that you can get your footprint engaged, so that you can re-engage the regional status of college football? That's what's really important about this game is that you can't just have it be the South every single year because people lose interest. We've seen it with the ratings over years, time and time declining. It's the same teams in the playoff. And... You can make cases for the Cincinnati's and the Coastal Carolinas and everybody like that in the world that pops up from from one year and then disappears the next, but it's not a very legitimate case because I think we've shown 
year after year that for the most part, the best team always wins and the four best teams make it in the playoffs. Now, are there big gaps between those teams? Absolutely. But what we need to look at eliminating with this choice is not so much, uh, it's gaps is really what we need to look at. I think and and that gaps in the amount of pay that you're getting for your product. It's gaps in competitiveness. It's gap gaps in exposure, whatever it is. So you need someone who can understand that, who's savvy enough to make those moves and also has the leadership skills and tactics to get all the ADs and the, and the university presidents on board, the, the so-called CEO board of the PAC 12 so it'll be interesting to see which names start to stick and filter out, which of these names are just kind of throwing themselves into the mix as a way to get a pay raise. And if there are any hidden candidates that kind of come out of nowhere, which it seems there always is in these kinds of searches. But I think overwhelmingly this news was received incredibly well. And if you haven't, if you don't subscribe to The Athletic, I'm, I, I'm going to push the article that Nicole – Auerbach wrote. She's incredible. She's one of the best writers in college football. She does a tremendous job. She's very well connected. And you can read the tone deafness of Larry Scott. He talks about how the job no longer interested him. And I just cannot for the life of me understand it because you look around and you see people all over the country that are dying to get into that job that want to stay there for a long time because, as we talked about it, it's a lucrative job. It's a good job. It pays well. The longevity is there. Cutting ties with the conference commissioner is very, very rare unless they retire. And so I just – he is so tone deaf and out of touch, and, and I don't know – it always felt that way when I'd seen him in person that he just didn't really understand where he was going at. There was the YouTube video of him releasing – the announcement of his contract extension to everybody at the Pac-12 network. And I just, it, it just continued and continued in the hubris from one, essentially one negotiation where he landed a better TV deal and, and expanded the conference. But I think outside of Utah fans, there could be an argument that expanding the conference really hasn't helped it very much. Um, I, I'm not sure that I really buy into that very much because I think Utah's done a really good job of carrying the brand when it's had to, uh, especially on the football side of things. But you've got to find ways to get your your blue bloods back into the picture, especially USC, UCLA. I think you've got to find ways to help those schools generate excitement about their programs. And so that's part of the job of a, of a conference commissioner as well is to work with them and help enable them to do their best job. All right, time for our last segment, and we'll make this one a little bit shorter. I threw it out there on Twitter. Just ask me anything. Didn't get a ton of response, but that's okay. I get it. There's a lot going on. Uh, Last night was very busy with the basketball game. The the jazz game was on as well. So there's plenty to um, to, to, to be distracted by. I think the Utah Twitter open announcing what they did and the pairings, um, if you're a part of that. That was a pretty fascinating thing um, to watch. Uh, but I, there are a couple questions that I wanted to get to uh, first and foremost. The first one comes from good friend Ublender at Ublender44. Uh, he asks, if you could add any former Ute to the 2021 football Utes to push them over the top, who would you add? I think it's the most obvious answer would be Alex Smith. I think if you can secure the quarterback position on a team like this, it's just going to explode because you've got talent at wide receiver. You've got talent at tight end. You've got plenty of talent at running back now. 
the defense is going to be there. So if you have a quarterback who can who can do exactly what Alex Smith did in 2004, look out because I think that's exactly what Utah needs is is a quarterback who can protect the football and, and be explosive when he needs to. And, and that's what Kyle Whittingham's always chased ever since he's been the head coach is the next Alex Smith. Now he's had a hard time finding him, but I think that that's the most obvious answer to kind of, if you were to remove, I think quarterback's just such an easy one to, to answer. So if you were going to remove that one from play, I think probably the argument would be either Garrett Bowles uh, who could secure the left tackle position. I don't know, and this is the hard part, I don't know that 2016 Garrett Bowles was as good as he is in, in 2020, but we'll just take him at his apex and, and call that good. I think that's something that you could you could definitely be convinced of. I think a legitimate speed rusher like Bradley Anai or Peter Talmai-Penu is another one that you could probably point to and say if you have that one guy who can get to the quarterback and get there quickly, that would really make a difference for this team. I think there are those guys in the wings with Xavier Carlton and and uh, Van Fillinger and Mika Tofua, but to have that one solid known commodity there would, would really help the team a lot. And then the other obvious one would be a wide receiver. Uh, Darren Carrington would be the first one that comes to my mind. Kevin Dyson, Stevon Smith, I think were, were great names. Uh, Brian Rowley, holy cow. If you could line Brian Rowley and, and Britton Covey up together in, in the same formation, I think Utah fans might explode. Uh, if you don't know who Brian Rowley is, he was probably the best receiver to ever play at the University of Utah. At least in my opinion, um, there are definitely arguments for others. I think Steve, Steve Smith was a better NFL wide receiver. It was a shame that they never threw him the ball. The only time he really got to touch it was on punt and kick returns, and he did his fair amount of damage when that happened. So that would be my answer for that one. Follows up with how many youths will be drafted in the 2022 NFL draft. I I would say four to five is probably where I'm looking at right now. You'll probably see, I, I think the obvious ones of the returners, Devin Lloyd, Brant Keithy, uh, Nick Ford, I think are, are candidates to be drafted for sure. Mika Tafua could be an early entry guy. Huati Pututau would be another one that I think. So there's five right there. Uh, plenty of other options out there, though, as well. It'll be interesting to see who really develops and who pops out going into next year. I think the fact that those three big names that everybody was kind of waiting on all decided to return is proof that this team feels like they have something to prove. And as Jake and I have talked about, the the early returns are that Utah should be one of the favorites going into the Pac-12. I, I thought that they always were as well, just watching the way the defense progressed, and uh, they've set themselves up nicely for that. Punts for Utah at Utah Punt Team says, did Bear make that big life decision? He did. I'm going to keep that one close to the vest, but I do appreciate everybody on Twitter who chimed in with advice. It really was beneficial. I think the biggest thing about it was I, I'm not a very good decision maker when it comes to things like that where it's so equal and balanced and I just need to choose one side or the other. But it was just really endearing to see how many people were cheering and 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 and, and saying that, you know, wishing me luck and everything like that. So thank you, everybody, for that. I really appreciate it. Um, maybe down the road I'll, I'll let you know what the result of that decision is. One last thing that I wanted to get to in regards to uh, kind of the Ask Me Anything. We had a, a question posted on the board about uh, should Pac-12 athletes' parents have a role in who the next commissioner is? And and it's a good friend of, of the program, a friend of mine. Um, I'll, I'll keep that identity quiet as well, but – 
I really appreciate you. You know who you are. I I know you listen regularly, and you and you know how I feel about you. We've had some great conversations in the past as well, and it's an interesting question because I think that that is a very important part about this. The Pac-12 is in in some ways responsible for the safety of its players. And we saw that with the pandemic and how they handled the testing aspect of it. I think it was an easy cop-out to say that it was just testing that was the issue. Uh, as we saw every single team for, I mean, I, I, outside of maybe one or two, was, was barraged by COVID during the season. And so um, didn't really pan out the way we wanted. But it's hard for me to be judgmental about things during a pandemic since we really haven't had anything go necessarily according to plan. Um, and I think that's the root of a pandemic, to be honest with you. But I think it's an interesting question because I think that there should be some say in terms of what parents can and cannot uh, contribute and, and, and what their opinions might be. But I think that needs to go to the university level. I think it's very much a chain of command thing. I think you aren't necessarily choosing a conference when you commit to a program. You're choosing a school and you're choosing a coaching staff and you're choosing an environment and a scholastic opportunity for your son or daughter when you are making that choice. Now, what I do think is that the the Pac-12 needs to have these athletes' best interests at heart. And I'm not just talking about football or basketball or the revenue generators. Also, the non-revenue sports are very important. And that's where I think you need to have parents' voices be heard is making sure that those sports are taken care of as well and those sports get attention as well because if you don't do that, then you really do eliminate what is – I think very important about college athletics and that's the amateurism of it. And we can debate whether or not football is an amateur sport anymore. Same with college basketball. I don't believe that they are not with the amount of money that's getting pumped into to them and the amount of attention, but the non-revenue sports like gymnastics, women's basketball, lacrosse, all those others that really are important and really do build a culture at the universities and colleges that they participate in, I think they need to be looked after. And I think those are the parents that really need to make sure that they uh, vocalize what their desires are and, and and express it with the athletic directors and the university presidents because I think that's where it really matters the most. That being said, I if I were a parent, I think that whoever the conference commissioner is would be important to me because I'd want to make sure that the rest of the career of my athlete – was well taken care of and if it was somebody that I didn't like I honestly believe that they should allow those students and and athletes to transfer if they so choose Uh, I think that coaches and athletic directors have a more direct impact on things than uh, conference commissioners but I do think it's it's important to to have an opinion about it and and know who who it is that the conference is hiring I think that athletic directors and university presidents do need to communicate that to their parents and athletes and and be very open and forthright with that and this process does need to be there's some things that do need to be uh kept closer to the vest than others but i do think it very this process needs to be very transparent as they move forward with it that is it for today's episode of the locked on news podcast thank you so much for listening we love and appreciate you all hope you enjoy your friday hope you enjoy your weekend thank you for listening for subscribing for rating for reviewing thank you so much seriously from the bottom of my heart thank you so much for the messages i love it i love people texting dming adding us at twitter sending us emails all that kind of stuff when you have either questions or comments it's always good for me to know what you're thinking um because i i want to know what it is that you're interested in and and i'll help 
and, and cater as much as I can to that. And, and the more I get, the better it is. Even if it is just a, Hey, ugly, your beard looks terrible. That's fine. You just don't know good beards. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have any problems with that. We, we got no beef disagreements are not an issue with me. So, but more than anything, I appreciate everybody who listens, who subscribes, who rates, who reviews. Uh, we'll try and read some reviews next week. And we're, and we're going to try and work some interviews and things like that into as well. So thank you for hanging in with us. This has been your Friday edition of the Locked On Youths podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network for January 22nd, 2021.